C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. In his Narnia books, Lewis sets up an allegory of a world caught up in the epic fight of good versus evil. Mere children are called to be the kings and queens of this strange and wonderful fantasy land. But as they are also referred to as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, we realize that there is a greater spiritual lesson in these stories. While the children rule over the kingdoms as king and queens, there is one more powerful to whom the young royals must answer. Aslan, the gentle yet ferocious lion, is the true king of Narnia, who judges his subjects and brings justice and restoration to the land. As the story continues, we see how this lion is really the king and is Christ in disguise. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and I have to admit that before I began preparing for this sermon, I didn't know a lot about what that meant nor had I thought much about kings in general. However, if you ask certain members in my household about royalty, you'll learn a lot about the Disney princesses. (laughs) I was not one who watched the most recent royal wedding, although I do remember my mom being glued to the TV during the wedding of Prince Charles and Princess Diana when I was a child. To me and to many others, I assume, these royal ceremonies have the ring of a fairy tale. In our scripture today, God, too, sets up a beautiful and captivating image of royalty that promises a happy ending for God's people. Christ the King Sunday is when we recognize Jesus as the long-anticipated king who will redeem God's people. Today, we have a brief pause in the liturgical calendar to look backward to the incarnation, life, and death of Jesus, and then to also look forward to his second coming and final reign— a time when things will finally be restored and there will be justice and everything will be right and there will be peace. Christ the King will bring justice and healing, restoring all the messes that our earthly reign have caused. From the time the Israelites demanded of Samuel that he find them a king, God warned his people that putting their trust in an earthly leader would only disappoint them. God took their demand for a king as a rejection of God's own leadership and rule over them. As God and Samuel warned the Israelites, kings would only enslave them for the king's own purposes. Kings would take their land and their money. Kings would use and abuse them. And this proved to be true. The Bible chronicles many unjust kings who squandered the people's resources, turned away from God and God's laws, and commenced to tear God's people apart. In the Ezekiel passage, we hear God speaking to the Israelites, who after a series of divisions, battles, and bad kings, are now in exile. And we hear God speaking also to their captors, the Babylonians. In this passage, we are presented with a concrete and earthy image of God, kind of an incarnation of sorts. God is not removed and indifferent like a king, but God is a rescuing shepherd closely connected with his sheep. God the shepherd does not use his power for God's own gain, like the kings or the bad shepherds have, but God gently calls out his people, rescuing them, 
bandaging their wounds, feeding them and bringing them back to health. He restores their land and brings them back to a fertile place for them to call home. They once again have their own place. The shepherd cares for the weak and protects them against those who would violate their vulnerability. God the shepherd is also a fiercely vengeful shepherd towards those who have harmed his sheep. In verses 20 through 22 of the Ezekiel chapter we read, The Lord God says to the Babylonian captors who have taken his people and put them in exile, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged. I will judge between sheep and sheep. To the bad shepherds, the kings, the Babylonian rulers, and perhaps even the religious leaders that had allowed his sheep to suffer and be divided, to those same who had feasted on the fat of the sheep, who had clothed themselves in in the sheep's wool and had yet not fed the sheep and taken care of them, God offered judgment. To the sheep, God's own beloved herding people, God offered justice. We hear the voice of the sheep today in the prolific Occupy movement. Those involved are speaking out on the injustice of leaders who have abused their power to make themselves wealthy, while those under them struggle to make ends meet. The 99% lean sheep are fighting against the 1% fat sheep and the bad shepherds, the wealthy, the leaders, even our own government, who have allowed the disparity. In Matthew we encounter the last public teaching of Jesus. After foreshadowing the signs of the end of the age and sharing images of the kingdom of God, he tells his followers about the final judgment. This apocalyptic prophecy ends up relaying a message about what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. Much like the Ezekiel passage in which God sets up a visual image to draw us into the story, Jesus too creates a picture of himself and the kingdom of heaven. In it, Jesus is the Son of Man, referring back to a term sprinkled throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and he is described as a divine king. He sits in judgment on his throne, directing his people to his left and to his right, separating the sheep from the goats. In this sense, he is also a shepherd, like God in the Ezekiel passage, sorting his herd. For Jesus' listeners, this would have been a powerful image. And referring to himself as judge, king, and shepherd, he would have been identifying himself with God, who is personified in these images throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Now, the sheep would have had a positive connotation in the listeners' minds, as sheep are known for their gentle, following nature. They can be easily led. They are useful because of their wool, and they have gifts to offer. Goats, however, are known to be stubborn, difficult, independent creatures who must be pushed from behind to be guided in the right direction. I'm sure we don't have any goats here today, and I certainly don't identify with that at all. (laughs) Jesus' standard for judgment in this case is not based on ethnicity or who they were as God's chosen people, but was based on how they treated others. Jesus rewarded those who treated his family— or brothers, as some texts say, with compassion. Who are his brothers? 
Do you remember the passage in Mark chapter 3, verses 30, verse 33, when Jesus' mother and brothers were looking for him as he taught the crowd? And when the crowd said, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are looking for you, Jesus replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And then looking at them who were listening, he pointed out, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus rewards those who treat his followers well, and his followers are those who do the will of God by showing care to those in need. Like we heard in the Matthew passage, by feeding the hungry, giving drink to those who thirst, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, visiting those in prison. In this final image of judgment, we are left pondering where we stand. Are we a sheep? And if so, are we lean or fat? Or are we goats? Are we victims or persecutors? Are we truly living out our faith and producing fruit? Or are we sitting around not doing much of anything and starting to get fat? This story hits us where we're vulnerable, making us question our choices and how we love our neighbors or not. This is not one of the difficult, obscure parables that Jesus tells to confound his followers. This one, unfortunately, is pretty explicit. Mark Twain said, It is not the parts of the Bible that I do not understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that bother me the most. While I can watch the coverage of the I Am the 99% Occupy movement from the comfort of my own home and be outraged by the disparity I feel when I label myself as part of the 99%, a broader view helps me to realize that I'm probably in the top 2% of the world's economy. While I don't make a lot of money, my family is fed and sheltered, and we also have a lot of our wants met as well. This is not the case for many people in our world where the basics of life are not a given. I'm more often than not a fat sheep. How am I using my gifts to serve God and God's people? How would my actions be judged by Christ the King? I had the opportunity to hear Philip Yancey speak last month at St. John's Episcopal. He spoke on the seasons of the soul comparing times in our spiritual journey to the seasons of the year. Winter represents the times of pain and struggle, and spring is when we experience growth and rebirth from those difficult times. Summer brings joy, and autumn is a time of death. As the leaves fall from the trees, we have our own small deaths as dreams fade and doubts take over. Yet this process of death is necessary to bring the new life and growth that spring promises. And I think we've probably all experienced that in our lives. When we go through those times of struggle, those are the times that we really grow and learn who we are and our faith becomes more personal. There's a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that I love. In it, Hobbes, the imaginary tiger friend of a young boy named Calvin, is walking outside where the trees are arrayed in their fall brilliance. Hobbes comments to Calvin, I love fall, and goes on to explain why. Calvin responds that autumn is melancholy. It's an end of summer, and ahead is the bleakness of winter. In Calvin's words, nothing lasts. Fall is just the last fling before things get worse. Hobbes, the optimist, as imaginary tigers are inclined to be, replies, 
If good things lasted forever, would we appreciate how precious they are? As we used to say in seminary, that'll preach. We are in an interesting season. We sit in the fall, awaiting Thanksgiving, while Christmas creeps ever closer. We may remark that it gets earlier every year, and the store displays will definitely back this up as truth. Yet in the rush to Christmas, let us not overlook Advent. Advent, which begins next week, is the season of longing, of anticipation, of counting the days and hoping for the long-awaited Savior. Here on Christ the King Sunday, we end our liturgical church year. Liturgically, this is the last Sunday of the calendar, while Advent begins another year. Appropriate as Advent heralds a birth, the most important birth. Today, we are at the end. We ponder the return of Christ as King and the judgment he will bring, but we also anticipate the restoration that Christ's justice promises. For Calvary Baptists, we are closing the chapter of our 120 years and looking forward to what the next years will bring. We celebrate new beginnings as we reach out to serve our neighbors, as we did last Saturday, and as our praise kids will do today in shopping to put together a Thanksgiving basket for Baptist Friendship House. But new beginnings also mean the endings of some things that are old, familiar, and comfortable. We might not, we might not know yet what these things are, although we have already been confronted by some changes. Our challenge lies in how we will respond to these. This Sunday marks the end of our stewardship campaign, but the beginning of our new year of service. Will we give faithfully of our resources, our finances, and our time? Will we show our Christ-likeness by serving the least of these? Or will we sit by and watch the suffering of others? Today, we witness the dedication of children and covenanted together as a church to help shepherd them in their spiritual growth. Will we live up to these weighty promises? Will we care for God's precious sheep, supporting their families on the journey as well? Will we feed them, give them drink, welcome them, clothe them? Will we visit them and walk with them on the journey, offering protection, love, and support? Can we direct them on the way to finding Christ the King, as we are also searching for the same on our journeys? In Judaism, there is a holy celebration, usually in October, called Simchat Torah, It means joy of the Torah, and it marks the time when the final Torah passage is read for the year. The cantor reads the last two chapters of Deuteronomy, and there's dancing and celebration before they start again at the beginning of Genesis. It is an ending, but also another beginning. In the same way, Christ the King Sunday brings us to the end of the liturgical year, and yet God's grace brings us into another year with new chances to become the people of God his beloved sheep. Our story doesn't end here with the scripture we read, but the ending is foreshadowed. God's grace allows us new chances to rewrite our stories in our personal lives here at Calvary Baptist and our relationships with God and the world. I end today with the final lectionary passage for today, which comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians is also my prayer for Calvary. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. 
I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for those of us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head of all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May you know the hope to which you are called. May this day be a celebration of endings and new beginnings. Thanks be to God.